Welcome to the Discover Church Podcast. We are a Christian faith community based out of Denver, Colorado. Join us this week as we bring our uncertainties to an unchanging God. If you have any questions about the sermon, please feel free to send them in. You can email them to us at hello at discoverdenver.church. But it's so good to be here. I, I love uh, Discover, and I, I've been coming ever since we were here. And, um, you know, the first time we were here, and, and even before with the um, Doubters Club, Church, and Preston and Lisa have been good friends. And I feel like I come sporadically enough, and every time I come, people treat me like I'm a new visitor. And it's kind of nice, because everyone is so friendly. Everyone's like, is this your first time? I'm like, no, I've been before. I come like every five weeks. That's like the key. You know, five, six weeks is enough time to just always be new, you know. So, yeah, as Preston mentioned, I, I do um, something called Better Pastors. I also work with the Urban Islands Project, which is really cool, and get to help start new churches in urban contexts. Like, that's how we first met, I think. So, um, my family, I have a photo here. Um, that's my wife, Lisa, who's here also. And we have three kids, Josiah, Allie, and Zoe. They're teenagers. Pray for me. And, uh, yeah, they're 17, 15, and 14, and um, they're great. If you want to find out about more about what I do, there's our website and stuff like that. You can um, find more info there. I have been a pastor for really my whole adult life, which I don't recommend. You know, like, they even tell you when you go to Bible college, like, that you should have, like, some fallback thing. Like, you know, major in pastoring, but also, like, get an education degree or get something in counseling. Like, just have some other options, you know. And um, I just didn't know that. I started too young. I came to the Lord when I was 15 out of, like, a rough gang, you know, background, not totally, you know, um, not a believing family and stuff like that. Um, and and so when I came to the, to the Lord, I just was like, I just should do more of this, you know. And so that turned into being a youth pastor and a pastor and, I, um, you know, I did, I started my first pastor job when I was 18 years old, which was so, so cool, you know. Um, but then, you know, by the time I'm 25 and they're telling me I should have had a fallback thing, then I'm like, oh, you know, so <laughs> it's like ride or die, baby, burn the ships. We're doing this, you know, and but so that's, that's my context. And I remember the first, uh, like pastor position that I got, I, like I said, I was 18 years old. And I'd gotten hired at this church to be the youth pastor. And I was so excited because I had been doing ministry kind of like volunteer, you know, in, I'd done two internships, that's right, doubled up. And so I had this, this was like my real first paid position. They gave me 800 bucks a month. That's all I needed, baby. You know, that was it. Lisa and I got married like a year later. I need a little more, but not a whole lot. And But I remember this first job that I had. I had an office at the church. It was an old church. So if you can imagine, it wasn't like it was a big church. Don't at all get that impression, but it was very old. Okay. And it had been around a long time. So they had all these classrooms and all these, like they had whole classroom stories that we just used for storage and stuff. So all that to say, there's lots of unused offices. Okay. But they gave me an office, which I was thrilled for. I had a desk. It was like hardy, like from the seventies, you know, and I had a phone. Okay, so now this was the 90s. You know, we didn't have cell phones yet. I actually got my first cell phone from the church. It's the first time I ever had a cell phone. I never paid for a cell phone as an adult because the church always provided it. 
people like cell phone bills. I'm like, oh, you know. <laughs> so, so I had a phone on my desk, and you know, I had it. Well, it was like fancy, like 28 buttons and all these things. And I remember it, like I was, I don't know, first month, I'll say, um, the, the desk phone rings, and I generally had nothing to do at my desk. <laughs> And and I was a youth pastor, so I, I mean, in, in reality, I didn't spend much time there. I was always hanging out with kids and stuff like that. But, you know, when I was at my desk, I just didn't have a whole lot. My phone rang, and I could see that it was the senior pastor, my boss. Also, not just because he was my boss, like someone I looked up to, mentor. He was old. I mean, like, not, <laughs> sorry. He was in, like in his 60s, so that's not like, oh, I'm getting close to 40 now. So, like, you know, but he was older. And I remember the phone rang, and I saw that it was him, and I was like, hello, pastor. And he was like, Zach, meet me in front of the church. And I didn't know what we were going to do in front of the church. I didn't know why I was meeting in front of the church, but I sprinted across the back playground area to the front of the church because I knew that it was going to be something awesome. I mean, we were probably going to lead someone to Jesus right there on the sidewalk. There was going to be like a homeless person who was going to just be able to become a CEO. There was going to be someone like who had some like, you know, blind or, you know, a missing an arm and it would grow like something was going to happen. We were going to pray for someone. We were going to do some amazing thing out in front of the church. I didn't know what, but I was excited. And I ran out to the front of the church and I get out the front and there's the pastor. And he goes, Hey, Zach. And I'm like looking at him. And I was surprised. I was a little shocked. There wasn't another person there. Like there wasn't that, you know, homeless guy who we we're going to, or like there wasn't this person, there wasn't this teenager who needed, you know, like there was none of that. It's just him. So I was a little bit like, where's the person, you know? And, you know, maybe we we're going to go like pray, Angela, I don't know. And out of nowhere, like a magician, he apparates this like it almost at first looked like a like like a um, staff, like Gandalf or something. Except that the words that came out of his mouth made me understand what was at the end of it. He was like, "Hey Zach, rake these leaves." <laughs> and I was like, and I looked up and down the church. And remember, this was a huge church building. It like spanned an entire city block, and I'd never noticed before. But this the the, the city block had like about every like 15 feet, one of these giant mature like maple trees with these leaves that were like bigger than your face, you know? And they covered the entire side. Like you couldn't even see the sidewalk. And just because I was young and naive and just because I was like processing verbally in a way that I probably shouldn't have, I just, before I could even like, I'm like kind of reaching for the rake because it just felt right, you know? But I'm also like, doesn't the church have people for this? And I should have known because me and him were the only, like, pastors on staff. We also had, like, a front office person who was his wife. That was it. And as I'm thinking and saying, don't we have people with this? He just, without missing a beat, was like, yeah, you and me. And out of nowhere, he operates another rake, you know, like, just appears and he turns around and just starts raking. And, like, he's in slacks and dress shoes because that's how you're supposed to dress, you know. 
for the office. I don't know. And so he's like, just starts raking. And so just out of reflex, because I couldn't let this old pastor like outdo me, I just start raking like a madman, you know, raking in the giant piles, you know. And I, it took like over an hour. There was these mammoth piles bigger than us, like out in front of the church, you know. And I had a realization about ministry that day. And so I appreciated the pastor teaching me this, but like most of ministry is raking leaves. I'm just going to admit it. But so you guys understand this because that's how it is in any job. Like we have the parts that we like, and then we have the parts that are like raking leaves, you know? So like if you have ever said, I love ministry and you're like, you're a volunteer at the church and you're doing whatever it is you're doing. Okay. You are doing the like 30% of ministry that we would do for free anyway, except we get paid because we rake the leaves. <laughs> like that's the other part that they don't tell you about, you know? And that's, that's real. That's ministry, that's life, that's work, that's all of these things. And I, th I think we can all understand that. And when it comes to ministry, I think all of us are called to ministry in, in some way. Like everyone, if you are a believer here today, like there is a ministry calling on your life. That doesn't mean you need to be a vocational leaf-raking pastor, but it does mean that we are all called to some sort of ministry in our lives and in our context and in our settings. We have a calling. You have a calling on your life. And as I made that realization about what it was that I did, I think about like people who have callings on their lives and, you know, who have things that they do. And some of you here are writers. You know, some of you here are handy people. Some of you here are accountants. Some of you here um, work for, with children. Like we all have things that we do that we have. And I don't know necessarily that we're always called to a thing. I can think about my dad. He's been an auto mechanic now for 40 years still. Like he, he doesn't want to be. I don't know that he ever really wanted to just be a mechanic. mechanic. Like I think that's why he pushed me so hard, like go to college, you know, like because <laughs> he just, but he had a calling to provide for his family, sure. And I think all of us, as we think about what God has called us to do, as we look and lean into the calling that God has on our lives, this message that I want to talk about today, I, I called it 30,000 days. And the reason is 30,000 days is about how many days you have in your life. Have you ever considered how many days you have? I mean, I know how many years. This is like from the, the government, you know, the statistics and stuff that we all have about you know, a certain number of years. And this is me. I just put myself in. I'm 39 years and nine months. Estimated total years is 81.9, which I did the math on this. It's actually 29,914. The government stole 86 days from me. Isn't that just like the government? All of us have a certain number of days that we're going to live. And I get it. Not everyone's going to live to be, you know, 81.9. It's a little less because I'm a male. I apologize, you know. Like, but, you know, hey, women get to live longer. And they're generally better at most things. So, like, I get that life's unfair. So, we all have a certain number of days. And it's not actually this number. You know, this is just an average. But people are going to die young. The good. You know, in actuality, joking aside, um, my wife was driving home with my youngest daughter from uh, the homecoming last night on I-70, and we shared this during the prayer time, too, that a car adjacent to her hit another car, and that other car 
went in front of her car, like just inches, hit the median on I-70, flipped into the air, went over into the other side of oncoming traffic, another car hit, the driver was killed last night. And even today as she's wrestling and processing, she's like, "Why? you know, God protected us. But then why didn't God protect him? And we're going to look a little bit at that question and wrestle with it a little bit because why is it that we have a certain number of days in our lives? And I don't know what your number is. We can stand here today and say it's 30,000 days. That's how many we have. But the reality is that's an average. But you have a number. There is an appointed time for you that God knows we don't. And if I knew that my date was going to be, um, I think I wrote it down here. It's October, no, yeah, October 29th, 2060. I mean, if I knew that that was my date, man, I could do lots of fun stuff in between. I don't know for sure, but, but we all have a date. We all have a time. And we're going to look, we, uh, we've been looking in the book of Psalms. We're going to kind of cheat a little bit and look at a different se- section of the poetry scripture. It's in the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 3, this is written, a book written by Solomon. And um, the book of Psalms was written, generally everyone says David wrote Psalms, but the reality is David didn't write all the Psalms. He wrote a lot, wrote a lot of them. A couple of them Solomon even wrote. But Solomon wrote a, a large section of the poetry section of the Bible. Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. And he asks some questions and he makes some observations on life. And this is one of them. And this is where we're, we're going to begin tonight. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. A time to be born and a time to die. And that's hard. That's hard to know that there is a time that we have set before us that we will die. I mean, the time to be born is great. We celebrate that every year, although I'm thinking of stopping that after this one. But anyway, we we celebrate because that's a good thing. But the other side of that, a time to die, that's not so nice. And a season for every activity under the sun, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And we have to recognize that there's some incongruency here. Like we get that, right? Like we can recognize the incongruency of the fact that there is a time and a season for things that are at opposition with each other. Like there is a time to laugh which is generally when I'm talking. That just wasn't one of them. Okay, but like now we know. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to weep. You know, when you confuse these times, this is where we have problems. When you're laughing at inappropriate times, when you're dancing at the wrong things. It goes on to say, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep, and a time to throw away. And I think that all of us have to live in this tension. This tension of that there are different seasons in our lives. And we also have to remember that my season isn't the same as your season. Like the season that you're in, sometimes when we look at other people's seasons, and maybe we're in a season that's not such a good season, we can look at them and be like, I hate them. Which, you know, is fine. It's appropriate. There is a time to hate. We learn that, okay? Like when they're in that season, you know. But we have to recognize that their season is not our season. We're not all meant to be in the same season at the same time. Our seasons are different. And in that tension is where we have to exist and where we have to live. 
a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. I remember when I was, I want to say fourth grade, I had decided I was going to go on my great adventure. You know, we all need one of those in life, if not several, but I was going to go on mine. And so I left my house to the great beyond, which was the backyard. And I went and I looked and I found the perfect stick because I think every adventurer needs a stick, preferably not one with a rake at the end. And so I found the perfect stick and I decided to go on my adventure and I began to walk out and I made it the overwhelming distance of maybe 100 yards. And I came upon this hole in the ground, which I thought, I don't know what's in that hole. I better poke it. It wasn't a very big hole. It was a small hole. And so I thought maybe there might be a snake in that hole. Like, I, that's what I thought. I thought maybe there's a snake in the hole. But the hole was little. So I'm like, I'm not going to be a very big snake. Plus, I got a stick, you know. Like, and this will be fun. You know, on my great adventure, I'm barely 10 minutes in, and I'm already finding a snake. Like, this is going to be great. So I poke in at that hole, waiting for Mr. Snake to come out. And Mr. Snake doesn't come out. I poke again, and Mr. Snake doesn't come. I poke again, and Mr. Snake doesn't come. And I'm just about to give up on Mr. Snake and continue on when all of a sudden I notice a small little creature, black and yellow, flying. And I was like, bee! Now, you know, we are like born with an innate fear of bees, spiders, snakes, things like that. Like, it's appropriate. When I saw the bee, I was like, oh, no, a bee. But I didn't realize is that he, this was not a bee. See, a bee, the thing about a bee is, like, it doesn't generally want to sting you, okay? If it stings you, you know this about bees, right? Like, their stinger gets stuck, and they pretty much die, you know? Like, so just, they, they give their lives to sacrifice for your bee sting, you know? Like, they don't want to sting you, okay? They will if they have to, but they don't want to. These were not bees. These were highly trained, militarized wasps. And this wasp came out with a few thousand of his closest friends. Probably not a thousand, it felt like that. But <laughs> and the thing about wasps is when they sting you, they retain their stinger. And you know why. It's an important reason. Because they want to sting you again. And so then now these wasps, and they, they opposed to bees who don't want to sting you, wasps, they want to freaking kill you. Like, they want to sting you. They want, like... And they came out, and I was wearing my cut-off jean shorts. And I had these, you know, skinniest little legs you could imagine in the world that were coming out. And they went for the closest thing that they could find. It was right at their level. It was exposed. And they began to sting my legs. like, like and, and you know all of us have this, like, fight-or-flight thing that happens, right? You know, fight flight. It's like when we're attacked, we do one of those things. I learned in that moment that my reaction was not flight. It was fight. Should have been flight, by the way. For future reference, you can't outrun a wasp. You cannot hit a wasp with a big stick. 
but I didn't know that, see? And so I began to take what I was armed with, you know, like Moses, when God called him, he's like, what is in your hand? And he said, I have this staff. And I was like, I have this weapon and I will attack these wasps. But, you know, they fly around. So I attacked them in the one place that I knew they existed, on my shins. And I began to bang as hard as I could on these wasps that were on my shins. And amazingly, it was like sweet relief. Because as bad as a wasp sting hurts, I mean, that, that's way worse than, you know. And I just started racking my legs with this, this stick. <clears throat> and the wasps, they stopped stinging. They like backed up and they're like, this dude's crazy. <laughs> like, oh, wait, yeah, he's just going to do that. And they're like, every once in a while, one of them would dive in and sting still, you know. And after, you know, my shins, I realized like I'm not hitting a wasp, but now my shins hurt a lot. So I dropped my stick. I did what every adventurer does when he encounters a problem. I ran home to my mom. And she came up and she looked at my legs and she put a little ointment on there. But something had happened to my legs. Right next to these little wasps things were these big giant goose eggs. And long after the wasp stings had healed, I had bruises on my legs for weeks. I think that sometimes we do this in life, though. It's not just fourth graders who are out on their adventure. I think we do that. We still do it as adults. You know, when, when seasons come that are hard or difficult or challenging, that we want to war against them. Sometimes the bruises that we give ourselves in the midst of this are greater than the stings that life was presenting in the first place. And as we look at this, the last part of this section of Ecclesiastes, as we talk about all these different times and seasons, and you're like, so what? So what? Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. See, I think that when we read this scripture, what we read is God is supposed to make our lives smell like strawberries and roses all the time. Like, we read this and we go, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. Everything's beautiful, everything's perfect, everything's lovely, everything's wonderful. You know, I was telling my wife, you know, whenever she gets into, like, a real, like, hardcore fitness plan, you know, like, she always gets sick. She gets a cold or something that tries to trip her up. I think that happens in life as well. Sometimes it's the enemy. Sometimes it's just life that when we start to go after God, Pursue the calling on our life. Pursue the ministry that God has put in us. Even to begin to commune with the family of God and the family of faith. I think what happens sometimes is that these seasons come where it is great. And it does smell like strawberries and, and fraggles or whatever, you know, and it's good. But there's other times where it doesn't smell like that. And it doesn't look like that. And it's hard and it stings and it hurts. And when we look at those, we think, well, that means I should give up. Because this scripture here says God, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. But if you look at your life and you say, well, things aren't beautiful, well, then either one of two things. I'm not doing the right thing or God's not real. But I want to look at this, the second part of the scripture. It says, he has planted eternity 
in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Think about that. Each of us have a bit of eternity buried inside of us. Inside of each one of us is this thing that is eternal and everlasting. We sometimes call that the imago dei or the image of God. That there's a part of eternity that, that here in the scripture it says that God puts in the human heart. In us is the image of God. In us is this bit of eternity. And we think about our lives in the span of these 30,000 days. And reality is that's not forever. There is something else. We don't know because we can't go and come back. So we've got to trust what Jesus says. Sure, but we have to know that there's a bit of eternity in all of us. But it goes on to say, and I think this is the part that we really understand, that even in the midst of that, we can't understand the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. We can't. We cannot under, understand the whole scope of God's work in our lives. Even though there's a bit of eternity, we can't tap into it and see if we could. We would be like that guy from the movie who can see the future and like would win all that money. You know, like that would be great, but we can't. We can't see the whole scope of God's work. And the scripture doesn't say God's going to make everything beautiful in, in your life. No. What he says is God's going to make everything beautiful for its own time. And we don't know how that's going to work. Sometimes we can look through our eyes of hindsight and we can see how God took something terrible and made that time in our lives that was so hard and so challenging that something beautiful came out of it. Sometimes we can glimpse that. Sometimes we can't. But as we're in the middle of it, you know, when I think about our lives, we want to see these seasons as, well, this is the part God was doing something in me, and this is the part he wasn't. But if I can give you something tonight, if I can give you something that you hear me on this, if you don't hear anything else, you hear this, that God's beautiful craftsmanship is at work in every part of your lives. The good, the bad, the highs, the lows, the time for weeping, the time for dancing, the time for laughing, the time for hate. Through all of these things, God's beautiful workmanship is at work in your life. His craftsmanship is making you into the person that he has intended you to be so that you could do the calling that he has called you to do. Now, if you want to think about your own life, if we can take this from me and put it on you for a second, is all of us have a certain number of days. And I did the little math to see that I have, you know, 39,000 days left. If you want to do this, by the way, I did make this little link on, on our website. If you want to go to betterpastors.com slash days, it's just a little calculator I put in there. You can probably Google it too. But you can put in your birth date. You can put in today's date, and it will tell you how many days you have. Then you have to subtract from 30,000 and see how many you have left. <laughs> but all of us have a limited number of days, a limited number of things that we can do. And I think about this time right now that we're in, this season. What is it? Fall? Autumn? Depends on where you're from, I guess, is how you say it. And we are fortunate here in Colorado because we have all four of these beautiful seasons. But I remember when we first moved to Colorado. It was 2005. We're from California, the Bay Area. We had zero seasons. 
I remember the first time, well, the first time I flew here, of course, it was like April. Lisa and I got off the plane and we had giant parkas on. Like, what are those for? And like, doesn't it snow all the time? <laughs> Turns out, no. But when, we, after we moved here, when the, the first time the snow fell, it was like magic to see the snow fall. To see those flakes come down from the, si- the sky and to see the, the white just coat the front of our house. And I remember I went into the office and I was like, it's so amazing. It's magical. It's beautiful. And they're like, wait till you have to shovel it. Oh, Colorado. I had one friend, he's from the East Coast, where they get like heavy snow. And he was like, what, you never seen snow before? And I was like, no, I've seen snow before. I'm like, have you ever been to the beach? And he was like, of course I've been to the beach. I'm like, you ever had the beach show up at your house? That's what I had. Like the snow came to my house. Like it was, and it was beautiful and, and wonderful. Some of you this time of year, you look out at the changing of the colors and it's beautiful. I mean, people drive up into the mountains and the Estes Park and, you know, through Boulder Canyon and you can see the changing of the colors and they are beautiful, magical. When my son was little, we went on a motorcycle ride through the mountains during the changing of the colors. And he kept like pulling on my shoulder and he was like, dad, look, dad, look. Like every different color was amazing to him because the leaves, they are. They turn these colors of orange and red and green and like like fluorescent colors of yellow, fluorescent green and lime and all these different things. And it is truly amazing. I was just thinking, thank God I don't got to rake all that. (laughs) Like we all have seasons and we approach seasons differently. When you look at your life right now, like what season are you in? What season of your life is right now? And if I can ask you, like, what is something right now that is hard? Like, what is something that's difficult? If you think about the leaves, even the leaves themselves, the reason why they're beautiful and changing colors and falling from the trees is because they're dying. Like, those leaves are gnarled and twisted and brittle and dead. When you try and collect the leaves, like, they get all nasty. Like, they're not, it's not nice what's happening. And sometimes we look at our lives, and if you can look at your life and say, man, I have a gnarled, twisted, brittle, dry part of my life right now. And maybe it's not right now, but maybe it's been there, and if you haven't been there, spoiler alert, you'll get there. It'll happen. These seasons come. That's why... Solomon was saying that there's a time and a season for every act of the year and sun, so that we could understand that this happens and it's real and it's part of life. But what would happen if we imagine these brittle, curled, dry moments of our lives that those themselves are part of God's majestic purpose for you? Even those. What would happen if we allowed God to have his way in every season of our lives? What if the changing of the seasons didn't bring sadness and death, but rather hope for the future. Because what is that beautiful thing that's on the other side of what God's doing in your life? What is that beautiful thing on the other side of that hard thing? Because that is one thing that's true. That God has made everything beautiful. Maybe not for this time, but for its own time. I'm going to invite Preston to come back up.